Welcome to Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. I'm Rob Wilson. I am Tony DeQuano. So it's time to finish off the Back to the Future trilogy. We got Back to the Future Part 3. So, Tony, like I've said on this one, this was actually the only movie of the trilogy that my family owned when I was growing up. So this is the one that I've seen probably more than any of the others. And it's always been a fantastic movie. I've always loved it. Yeah. No, it's... I think I mentioned it. I remember at the time, because both of them were you know released so close together, parents really enjoying this one a lot. I liked it. You know, it's the Old West, so to speak. And a lot of fun and it comes at things you know recycle some things but definitely approaches it a little bit differently than the other two yeah i was just about to say the same thing it's it's the most different of the three but at the same time it has most of the same story beats to it you know except just instead of a diner it's a saloon and stuff like that but yeah it's pretty much it's- still the same order of things just tweaked a little bit got a lot of the same characters we just see more of their ancestors so to speak right you know whether it be marty's family the Stricklands, right so yeah it's done well and i think overall that's easy to get into the doing something like the old west and being super cheesy with it and not being you know i think a lot of times in places do kind of like western so to speak in a lighthearted way yeah it doesn't always come out as being super authentic, but I think they did a pretty good job overall. And it's just kind of cool to see the origin of Hill Valley. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it has some of my favorite little pieces of just small touches that they do. Because, you know, we get to see, we talk with the people, but we also see different places within the town throughout the entire arc. And obviously, the big centerpiece is always, you know, the courthouse and the clock tower. Yeah, yeah this is where and it's that's being obviously built. under construction throughout the movie. But I like that. You know, the kind of the center part of the movie is the dedication of it. And you see the picture in the beginning of the movie. You see it taken and then see it at the end. But the picture with Marty, Doc, and then the clock. Uh, it's, it's so central to who they are. And it's just a small aspect of it. But it's one of my favorite parts of the entire trilogy. Yep, yep. It is. It's, it's awesome. We get a little bit of each of the time periods except you know 2015 but yes. we get a little bit of 55 yeah, a little bit of 85 the 50s. and then uh most of it is in 1885 and that's also where it's kind of different than the other ones is that the first one is kind of bookended with 1985 right the first 20 25 minutes of the movie is you know the present day and then the big chunk of it is in 1955 yeah. but then you spend the last you know five or ten minutes back in 1985 and as we talked about last time you really have a three separate part, right? You have very briefly the return in 1985, kind of as the prologue. And then that first third is the future, the alternate 85 in the middle, and then 1955 again at the end. And before we get into 1955 again, there were two things I kind of thought about that I missed last time. I thought it was kind of, it was kind of cool about the alternate 1985. But Richard Nixon is still president. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. He is. <laughs> and Biff helped him to be president again. Yeah. Apparently. Yep. And they're still fighting the Vietnam War. So kind of little cues to things outside of Hill Valley, right? Because everything else within the movie is like all Hill Valley. But anyway, so it starts back in 1955, obviously, because as we saw at the end of part two, the Dorian, while it's hovering in the air, gets struck by lightning and spins out to 1885. 
and Marty's stuck in 1955. Yeah, but he gets a letter from Doc explaining where he went, where he ended up. And it had instructions on how to uh, repair the uh, DeLorean because he had put it in a mine. After landing in 1885, Doc had put the DeLorean in a mine. He had hidden it there. And uh, so with the note. I liked how they give the little piece there within the note that Doc knows that area well enough that it should be undisturbed for those 70 years. But he sends it Western Union, which we'll see later in the movie. And the guy that delivers a telegram is a dad from Freaks and Geeks, yes. which had not come out yet, obviously. But he would go on to start Freaks and Geeks, which if you have not seen Freaks and Geeks, do yourself a favor, watch Freaks and Geeks. It is a fantastic show. The very short-lived series, but it's fantastic. Yeah, it, it, anyway. <laughs> it's a shame that it, that it was only one season. And even that, then not even a full season. It was only, what? Not even a full season. Like 12 or 13, 12, 13 episodes. episodes back in the days when a full season of a show was 20 to 24. And I think it might even have been one of those ones where they there's on the least episodes they threw on the DVD set. So, but he has the instructions, detailed instructions. But you know, obviously, Barty has to go back and tell Doc <laughs> again. I always kind of like that scene. It's at the end of two, and I re showed again at the beginning of three. He's dancing in the street because all work, right? And he's a yep. scientist, he's happy about it. <laughs> and he sees Marty again five seconds later, and obviously he passes out because it doesn't make any sense. Because he just sent him to the future, and he comes running around the corner. Uh, yeah, like, I'm back from the future. Um, so it's a good, it's a good start to the movie. Yeah, it is. So in the letter, Doc leaves instructions on how to repair the time machine so that Marty can get back to to 1985. He tells him to, you know, not try to come back to 1885 to get Doc. Just let him live out the rest of his life in the past. Because he's happy. He's a blacksmith. Yeah, he he became a blacksmith. He loves what he does. And he's always wanted to live in the Old West. So he tells Marty to fix the DeLorean and get himself back to 1985 and live the rest of his life. And Marty's prepared to do that until outside the mine. Until they recover the DeLorean. Yeah, till they recover the DeLorean, and uh, there's a cemetery outside the mine, and in that cemetery, Marty finds Doc's tombstone. Was Copernicus found it? Oh yes, that's right. Dog. Yes, Copernicus Dog found it. Go get Copernicus. Yes, Which I think it's kind of a nice little touch. Like, does he read the name, or does he just kind of smell or sense Doc being down there? But it's not just that it's his grave, right? Because obviously, maybe he would find his grave and live to be 80 or 90 years old whatever right but they find that no he dies like a week after he writes that letter because he's shot yeah he had been living in in 1885 for a few months before he wrote the letter but yeah the the death date on his tombstone was about a week or so after he wrote the letter so (sighs) 1955 doc and marty decide that marty shouldn't be going back to 1985 he needs to go back and keep Doc from being killed in 1885 because they learned that he was shot dead by Buford Mad Dog Tannen, shot in the back over a matter of $80. Ooh, referenced in Back to Future Part 2 yep. in a documentary on Biff's life about Biff's, Pleasure Palace. About Biff's ancestors. and It also what? mentions the name Clara, right? Which is, no, it's not mentioned in the letter at all. Yes, the tombstone he's specific says, about yeah. why he's happy. Yes, but there's no mention of a Clara. 
The tombstone right. mentions his you beloved know, Clara, but yeah. And I like that within that too, but like, you know, they find it, but then like as a good scientist or any researcher, they try to research more, find out about what might have happened. Right. Cause it's, you know, you need, they're going to need that information and they want to know. They also want to make sure that it's the right Brown. And that's where we learned that Doc Brown is German. Yes, because wasn't it Marty was asking if uh, he might run into Doc's ancestors there? Yes. Yeah, that's right. And then Doc mentioned that his and family came over to America from Germany later than that. It was the von Braun. They changed family. it after World War One, which was you know the Germans had a lot of people blame them for the war, and so they changed the name Brown. But made sense. Yep, it did. And a lot of a lot of immigrants changed their names when they came to America. Yeah, not just German. Some of them was just changed for them. <laughs> yeah. So and that's where we also discover they find photos of the ceremony. But, you know, it's kind of a cool dive into Hill Valley's history. I was, I was trying to look this up more. Like, you know, I was just trying to think, like, how well, did, you know, sometimes people kind of create more backstories to these things. So things are not really officially canon, right? There's not a lot for Hill Valley, unfortunately, before 1885 and really between 1885 and 1955. It's established in 1850, right? And that's about it. So, but yeah, so they just do that research to determine that he has to go back, get Doc released, avert whatever happens. Because, you know, maybe Doc will stay, but at least avert. Yes, they, they at least have to save Doc's life. And if Doc chooses to stay in 1885, then he chooses to stay in 1885. But Marty's got to. You know, they have what they need for it to get to 88 miles an hour and to be able to time circuits. They have Mr. Fusion still. Yes, they do. They still have Mr. Fusion. And they strapped a tray of 1955 parts to the uh, hood of the DeLorean to be able to fix what was wrong with the flux capacitor and the time circuits. But uh, unfortunately, when it got struck by lightning at the end of Back to the Future 2, it fried the hover circuits so the DeLorean would never fly again. But what if they took it back to 2015 and just had the guys that did the hover conversion fix it? I didn't even think about that. They could have just fixed that again. It would have saved a few of the issues that come later. In the it movie. really would have. Because, I mean, it's a time machine. So Marty yeah. could have taken it to 2015, had him fix the flying, and then <laughs> taken it back to 1885. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that would have fixed pretty much everything that went wrong in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, then there wouldn't be a movie. I was just like, you just pick him up True. and then just fly off. True. And Doc would have been like, I don't know no Clara. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? <laughs> Anyhow. But, you know, they approach this in the right way, though. It's like, they realize they're going to go to the back to the past. Having a car randomly show up in the 1880s yeah. is going to attract some attention. So Doc yeah. finds a driving movie theater way on the outside of town. And uh, buys Marty some, some cowboy thing. clothes. <laughs> I always like that Doc is sure that the I cowboys like, wore back in the 1800s. <laughs> and Marty's like, I don't think Clint Eastwood would wear this. Parking back to yep. the, sink in the middle of two, but he's right. Yeah, I always thought it's funny that Doc would think that's what cowboys would wear. Especially considering that it's like his favorite period in time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know what's what's interesting about that? So when Marty walks out of the movie theater after after having changed into his uh, his cowboy getup, if you look at the movie posters that are up on the wall, yeah, they're of Clint Eastwood's early movies uh, before he started doing the westerns. I didn't catch any of that. Yeah. Interesting. 
I always, you know, I like this. The, the other little pieces I like about the movies as well, because Doc's like, who's Clint Eastwood? Like, 1955, no one would have known yeah. Clint Eastwood, right? Clint Eastwood was still Whereas, in his early days of acting. Back to the Future Part 1, when he asked him who's president, he said, Ronald Reagan. He's like, Ronald Reagan, the actor? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ronald Reagan, big star at that time, and he was actually, you know, when they go into the movie theaters in downtown Hill Valley in 1955. Yeah, it's a Ronald Reagan Showing movie. Showing Ronald Reagan movie, right? So, so yeah, he's like, yeah, just gonna drive straight out there, and yeah, the movie screen has that like cowboy and Indian image. Marty's not thinking fourth dimensionally. Nope, nope, because he says there's not <laughs> enough there's not enough road here. If I if I get up to eighty eight miles an hour, I'm gonna run into those Indians. <laughs> and then, yep, Doc I, reminds me he's I, not I thinking fourth dimensionally. When you look at like the setting and all of that, right? You know, obviously it's a set that you know. But it looks like the Utah desert. It doesn't look like any place that should be close to Hill Valley. <laughs> so, no. like, you know, I would say I always had a problem with that. Like, the more recently, I was like, yeah, okay. It's kind of funny because, like, he hits 88 and he drives into a bunch of Indians. Which, if they made this movie today, I don't know if they would have gone that route. I well, I guess they never really specify where in California Hill Valley is. Right, it's true. I mean, you kind of assume that I, it's I Southern California, but... It's not necessarily. I guess, I guess I think about all the farms, or you know, I think about maybe not the farm, but like the um, old man Peabody. And yeah, trying to breed the trees and seeing some of the land out there, you know, in 1955. I mean, it could be, it could be a border town. Could be, yeah. So yeah, it could be on the border with street. Nevada or something, and and uh, yeah, and that could explain how you know, not too far out of town, it, it's that kind of desert. But, so. Uh, he gets back to 1885, and sure enough, there's all the Indians. Yep, only this time it's real Indians. <laughs> it's not. It's not. So uh, they're not painted around. on a wall. It's it's real ones that are riding toward him <laughs> on horses. Uh, he ends up driving the car to a little cave. Yep, puts it in a little cave. All the Indians uh, ride over the. They jump over the cave. You know when they're ride past him, he climbs out, pops his head up, and the cavalry's coming. Chasing the Indians away, <laughs> runs off and falls down a hill through a fence. No, not not yet. Oh, got no, first, he's got a he 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 goes in there, notices there's an arrow sticking that's out right. of the Delorean. That's right. it's the bear, that's right. And looks yeah. down and sees that, that they, they that the that there's a hole in the gas the, tank and all the gas is, is yeah, yeah the fuel the, line is, is Indians shot yeah. Indian shot an arrow and went through the fuel line. Yeah, so the uh, the fuel line is Which leaking, is good, so all the gas is of, spilling out all over the ground. And on top of that, there's a bear in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> so Marty's running out in his Nike tennis shoes, carrying his red boots. <laughs> Which, at least he had those. It yeah. distracted the yeah. bear. Now. So he, he throws his boots on the ground behind him, and the bear goes up there, starts sniffing him. Marty keeps running, trips, falls down a hill, right through a fence, knocks himself out. Which also is kind of weird, because like that... Farm seems very close to where they were, where the cave was. He didn't, you know, he ran, but not like he ran for like miles. Yeah, unless right? he just so, like, has did the cowboys and the cavalry just like run to the farm. They might have. Too. They might have. <laughs> anyway, but maybe maybe, maybe he has incredible stamina and he ran like twelve miles. <laughs> <laughs> But he wakes up, and again, here's what he thinks is his mom's voice. It's Thompson. 
the same scene that's in every one of the movies. One of those, one of those mainstays in there. He wakes up to his mom's voice, but it's not his mom. This time, it's not his mom. His uh, great grandmother, great great grandmother. It's his great great grandmother. Yeah, because his great grandfather is a baby. Yes, it's his great great grandmother, Maggie McFly. It's the McFly uh, Farm. Yes, it is the McFly Farm. And, and she is played by Leah Thompson. Ireland. But uh, then her husband, Seamus McFly, comes in, played by <laughs> Michael J. Fox. So he is he did a good job he's doing role, double duty on this one, too, just like he was in the last movie. Well, in the last movie, he was doing, like, quadruple duty. <laughs> he plays his older self, his current self, his daughter. And his son. <laughs> and his son. Like... Like, I, I don't get it. Elizabeth Shue could have done triple duty, right? Yep. She could have. Or even Leah Thompson. Leah Thompson could have gotten some makeup and done yeah. it also. Yeah. Because she's in the movie. She could, you know, she's older than Lorraine. But they're at the big fly farm, and we find out that they're kind of recent immigrants from Ireland. And, and when they ask Marty's name, or when Maggie asks him his <laughs> name, rather than saying his name's Marty McFly, he says it's Clint Eastwood. Because <laughs> he can't let it slip that he's a time traveler and that he's their great-great-grandson. Yes. So he says he's Clint Eastwood. So the rest of the movie, the two of them call him Mr. Eastwood. <laughs> I really do like the interaction between like the three. Yeah, it's great. It's a good relationship. And I think even like like Seamus, you know, you know, he feels like, you know, it's weird. You know, he feels like there's some connection that he senses about it. Right? Yeah. And he's so concerned. He tells Maggie, like, we have to help him out. Yeah, he's so concerned that Marty doesn't have a hat. <laughs> That's right. He is fine with this stranger in their house. He wants to help him. <laughs> he feels a connection to him. But he doesn't understand why he doesn't have a hat. <laughs> I love his hats, too. The, the yeah. little bowler type. Yep. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Not wearing, he's not wearing a Stetson. No. Nope. He's, he's wearing that European frontier. bowler type hat. <laughs> so he gives Marty a hat. A bowler hat. <laughs> gives him some more clothes that aren't pink. No, he's still wearing his pink clothes. He does wear that's right. Yes, he wears the pink clothes. clothes right. And the red pants. The pink Rock, shirt, red Doc's pants. Redress him later. And he's still wearing yeah. his Nikes. Yep. And uh, Seamus gives him a bowler hat. <laughs> Marty makes his way to Hill Valley. Actually, no, before before that, he, he meets his great-grandpa, the baby. Yeah, he's a baby, and he pees on him. And he pees on him. He picks him up, and he's, or he, uh, Seamus hands him to him because he needs to go. He needs to step away. And uh, His wife's not happy with him. His wife's not happy with him, doesn't know why he's being so nice to the stranger. Then Marty's great-grandpa pees on him. Well, in the middle yep. of Marty standing there in awe that he's holding his great-grandpa as a baby... The first McFly yeah. born in the United States. Mm-hmm. Then he pees on him. But, you know, it's such a good scene. Because, like, you know, obviously that would be George's dad, right? Well, George's grandpa. Um, George's grandfather, sorry, yes. And, like, you don't know much about him or George's father, right? But, you know, George is kind of a pushover. He's a wimp. And Marty kind of swings in the other way and gets too rash and hot-headed about things. So he doesn't want people to think he's a wimp. Because he sees his dad being such a wimp. But, you know, Seamus is kind of a really strong, wise type of character. Yeah, he, he really is. And, uh, you know, he, he's not, he doesn't have a lot of scenes in the movie. But, no, he's a good time. He stands up, you know, for why 
he believes that they need to take care of Arden. They usually said, you know what, Maggie, you're right. But I mean, he still, he doesn't let him sleep in the house. He lets him sleep in the barn. So he gives and, it you know, to Maggie a little bit. He gives times. Yeah. So anyway, he meets his great-grandfather. Then next day, he's in Hill Valley. And he goes in the saloon. Walking through, walking through the street, steps in some horse crap. Because there's horses, because it's um, the Old West. It's the Old West. It's a West, the Western Union wagon. Yeah. Wells Fargo. I actually think it was Wells Fargo. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It was Wells Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, steps and crap. But yeah, he just walks into the saloon. Jumps back and gets all his, his nice, shiny white Nikes and horse crap. But well, then, yeah, he goes in the saloon. He's trying to find Doc. Yep, but the bartender, he uh, he tells him he needs to order something, so he orders a water, gets laughed at. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a scene about him trying to order something. <laughs> yep. And the bartender says, we don't serve water here, we serve whiskey. So he pours him a shot of whiskey. Steaming. Yep, it's steaming. When it, it, a couple drops fall out of the glass and hit the bar top, and it's like acid. <laughs> it sizzles. <laughs> And there's that guy. Because, of course, yep. he can't be in an establishment without... No. He can't be in a dining establishment character. without somebody in Biff's family coming in. And, of course, he thinks he's McFly. Yeah, he's because, you know, he's McFly! I thought I told you never to come in here. Marty turns around, and Buford, Mad Dog Tannen, is standing there. And he's surprised that it's not Seamus. Because he saw the hat. How does Mad And he thought, How does Mad Dog know Seamus anyway? Like, you know, some of the other ones, like, you know, Biff and George obviously go to school. Yeah, they never explained how they know each other. His grandfather. You know, like, it doesn't seem like Seamus would be the type that would run into him that often. I mean, it's not a big town. So, and I mean, Seamus obviously doesn't live too far outside Mm -hmm. of town. And, you know, I'm sure he goes in there all the time. He doesn't want to see the hat in the saloon. Like, he thinks the hat looks ridiculous and doesn't want to be bothered by the hat. That would be perfectly in line with Mad Dog. Yeah, it would be. But yeah, I would I would imagine that they just, over time, run into each other in town, and Mad Dog, being a tannin, doesn't like the McFlies. Yeah, right. But it just, you know, it follows kind of the same pattern of a lot of the encounters within the establishments. Funny, because the first movie, the first encounter of Biff in the diner does not lead to the chase. Chase is a yeah. singing. Yeah, it's a different right. diner scene. But in both two and three, it's that first diner scene or saloon scene. Yeah. That it leads is. to the chase. And the chase is more abbreviated in this one. But it's important to know, we would say Mad Dog. Marty doesn't know yet that he does not like the name Mad Dog. Yeah, so when Marty calls him Mad Dog, Buford gets mad. And uh, yep. you know, he does the classic Western move of uh, making somebody dance. Pulls out his six-shooter, starts shooting at Marty's feet. <laughs> so Marty does the moonwalk. And Marty starts moonwalking. <laughs> <laughs> starts moonwalking in his knee case. Because <laughs> one of one of Buford's men earlier looked at his shoes like, what, what's knee K? <laughs> yeah, so Marty's moonwalking, does the Michael Jackson spin move. And jumps down right on top of a floorboard that's bent up. And the other end of that floorboard is sitting right underneath a spittoon. <laughs> Launches the spittoon, catapults it right into Buford's arms. Just covers him like that in even less. tobacco spit. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, because he made him dance. 
He was out of bullets. Yep. Which is what leads to the chase. Yes. But so once, course, yeah, once they find is, out that Buford's out of bullets, because he can't shoot Marty, he tries, but he can't because he doesn't have bullets. Marty runs and Mad Dog and his posse chase him. But it's the 1880s and he has no skateboard type nope. thing to ride around on. And they are on horses. Yes, they're on horses and he's just running and they have lassos. <laughs> <laughs> So lasso Marty, drag him behind the horse, string him up at the courthouse. So he's hanging. And interesting thing here during that scene. So they had the rope around Marty. And while they were filming it, the rope slipped from where it was supposed to be. And it was actually choking Michael J. Fox. Like he yeah, was he, actually he hanging. You could tell like, he's like, shit, shit. Yeah. Nobody, nobody <laughs> noticed it. They all thought he was just acting. And uh, yeah, it wasn't. For a little while that he's sitting there hanging there, actually like being strangled by the rope, yeah. that somebody noticed that he was actually like choking. Yeah, so uh, don't don't try your own stunts at home, kids, because even with uh, even in professional uh, productions, things can go wrong. David Carradine found out about that. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> but that's all we're gonna say about that. <laughs> So, I'm sorry. <laughs> so he's he's up there. He's strangling. Then you see these legs walk up and this big ass rifle. Yep, this big rifle with a huge <laughs> scope on it, and the rifle fires. The bullet goes right through the rope and cuts Marty free. Then we see who's behind the rifle. It's Doc, and we begin to discover why Doc's about to die. Yep. Or seemingly about to die. Yep, because he shooed Mad Dog's horse, and the horse threw the shoe, and uh, so Biff killed the horse. So yeah, so Doc tells Biff to bring the horse back, and he'll reshoe him. But Mad Dog already shot that horse, so he he sees that Doc owes him five dollars for the shoe, for the shoe, and seventy five dollars for the horse, which is the eighty dollars that Doc had been murdered over. The event that Marty is trying to stop. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know, the strange thing because they kind of have like this quasi nice reunion at first, which for you know, Marty is just a day. Yeah. But for Doc, it's been for months. Doc, it's been like nine months. You know, he just saved his life and he's like, I thought, told you not to come back here. And of course, he's happy to see him. But then it's like, yeah, well, I got to tell you why I came back. You're going to die. You know, and this is what happened. And for some reason, and, Doc is completely okay with uh, Marty telling him that he's going to die this time. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the first movie, <laughs> he was trying to tell 1955 Doc that he was going to get killed by the Libyans in 1985. And Doc didn't want to hear it. But in this movie, Doc is completely fine with Marty telling him that, that Mad Dog is going to kill him. Yep. But, you know, they, they go to his shop and, and you know, Marty reveals, as we said earlier, the important thing, that the gas line got shot by an arrow. I don't know, did the gas line actually get shot by an arrow, or did it just, the rough terrain just tear it out? Because the, the arrow was sticking oh, in the it, in the back of the DeLorean, but it wasn't actually yeah. anywhere near the fuel lines. That's, you're right. Yeah, no, it's probably just the terrain. Probably going down over that hill. Yeah. When he was getting away from the, uh, trying to, you know, evade the Indians that did it. So, but obviously it's a, a dilemma, because you can't just get gasoline for the car. And no, there's, there's not a gas station in Hill Valley yet. 
that they have to devise a plan of how are they going to get it to go 88 miles an hour. And that's when, I guess, is it? I guess the mayor, right? He comes in and he tells him about a new school teacher that's coming into town on the train, right? Is that the mayor? That's what I want to know. Did they say who he is? It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't the marshal, but, you know, and he says the name is Claire, so they begin to understand the name Claire. Yeah, but, yeah, so, right? Yeah. But there's actually one scene early on in there when they're talking, you can see Clara in the background getting off the train. That's right. But they go through a series of ideas about. How they get that day, and I guess on a side note, oh, he also so, tells it, you know, about the Clara because no, cause we all know who Clara is, but, yet, right? Yeah. So here's the thing, though. And Doc so it's silly that. Yeah. So the reason, the reason so, why Clara was mentioned on the tombstone, but there was no Clara before Doc went back to the past, is because Doc had agreed to meet her at the train station to pick her up from the train station. Then Marty showed up, and so Doc wasn't there to pick up Clara. Correct. So if Marty hadn't gone back there, and Doc would have, you know, met Clara at the train station, and then their story would have progressed from there. But since Marty went back, Doc missed the meeting with Clara, so she had to go and get a wagon of her own. Which is interesting, because prior to when Doc didn't live in 1885, him just going to 1885 itself changes part of that history. Yeah. Because I will find out later, Claire was supposed to die. <laughs> yep, because while anyway. Doc and Marty are out, they see a wagon, they they see horses that were spooked by a snake or something, and they're running wild, they're going crazy, and there's a, this woman who's in the wagon that they're pulling, and they're running r- straight toward Clayton Ravine. And at the time, they're just getting, it's like, oh, it's save this woman. Yeah, so Marty Which is like and Doc, perfectly natural they, they spring into action, they go and they save the woman off of the uh, off the wagon. The horses go running over the cliff into the ravine, into Shonash Ravine. Is what it's called then. But you know, Marty mentions Clayton Ravine, and there's a school teacher. There's a school teacher who and all the kids in ran school off the, the had fantasies the about certain teachers falling into the ravine. Yep. And so the ravine was renamed Clayton Ravine after Clara Clayton, the school teacher who uh, fell into the ravine. Yep. But Doc and Marty saved her. So (laughs) it's still called Shonash Ravine at this point in time. And it would have remained that even if Marty had not gone back. Because at that point, Doc is now in 1885, and Marty wouldn't have been there to interfere with that. He would have picked her up and spent that week together. Yeah. But Marty does come back, and they had to figure out how to get him back to 1885. And they keep going through ideas, and they settle on an idea like, oh, how don't we push the DeLorean? Because there's trains all over the place, right? (laughs) And, you know, and, in, in 1885, a train is about the only thing that has a chance of going 88 miles per hour. Right. And so that's why they're kind of out near the train station. And they're asking the engineer about, like, could they get to 88? And he said, well, you had to have a hot enough fire and you can't really be pulling the rest of the train because obviously it's going to drag it down. So they figure, OK, this has got to be the way. And that's when riding back to town when they hear her scream because they're busy trying to figure out how to get to 88. So now you have that set up that met Clara, and they have plan. How and they of course, there now? Doc and Clara love at first sight. Of course, which Doc said would never happen. Yeah, Doc was not a believer in love at first sight, but it is a pretty common movie <laughs> trope that the person who doesn't believe in love at first sight is the one that falls in love at first sight. Marty has to pull him back away after you know they drop her off at the schoolhouse, 
And what happens from that then? Because is that is the town so, scene, I think? Yeah, so Doc and Marty are back at Doc's blacksmith shop. They are continuing to plan. Oh, their... that, you're right. She brings him. Yeah, the, she brings him the black. telescope. Right. So they're the blacksmith shop going over the model. There's a model this time. There's a, there model. a model in part two. No, there was a model, a model in part again. one, and there's a model in part three. And once again, Doc starts apologizing, and Marty stops him. He's like, "I know, I know, it's not to scale." But uh, right in the middle of of them testing out their theory on how to get the train up to 88 miles per hour to push the DeLorean. Then Clara shows up, and so they have to cover everything up. They have to cover up the yep. DeLorean with a blanket, and uh, Clara brings Doc her telescope that was damaged when the wagon was going crazy. So uh, Doc tells her that he'll fix it, and... Well, they, they look through it together also. Yes, he they look through it together. You know, where it's broken. And now he's telescoping. Yep. <laughs> In more ways than one. <laughs> But anyway, uh, but yeah, um, so yeah, you know, and he's 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 a nerd. He gets into that science geeky stuff. Yeah, because they they hold the telescope one way and it's all fuzzy. Then they turn it the other way and everything it's clear. So it sounds just like a regular telescope that you change the focus on. So <laughs> <laughs> so Doc tells her, tells her oh, that he'll fix it, and uh, she asks him if he's going to the uh, town festival. Yeah, because they're going to inaugurate the clock tower. Yes. That's the entire idea. It's like they have the courthouse and building the clock, and they're going to actually start the clock. Yep. And so they're having this big festival that night, and uh, Doc says that yep. he will deliver the telescope to her at the festival. And, they're there, and it's kind of your typical town festival. I like yeah. the, I like the, the entire setup of this. Like ZZ Top's uh, playing. Feels... <laughs> <laughs> They couldn't get Huey Lewis in the news. Nope, but they got ZZ Top. ZZ Top's playing at the festival. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it feels like you know, they got the music and they have games. You know, they have but Smith & Wesson is there. And they can shoot little no, metal Colts. Colts there, not Smith & Wesson. Is it Colt? Yeah, it's okay. Colt. Because the, the guy is so proud of his Colt Peacemaker. That's right. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it seems like the entire town is there. They got the pictures. You mentioned that's one of the big things that happens that Marty and Doc get their picture with the clock. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is so appropriate. Like, yeah. again, I just love that little touch. Yeah. It was, it was um, great. And then, you know, he sees a frisbee. Yeah, he's going, <laughs> going to get a like piece of pie. pie dish. Sees the pie dish made by frisbee pies. He's like, hey, frisbee, far out. And he's talking to uh, to Seamus and Maggie because they're there too. Yep. And uh, he puts the pie plate back down on the table and walks away. And Maggie, like, it's right there in front of him. <laughs> and then we cut into so that. Uh, first off, Marty is, goes over to the uh, the Colt shooting gallery, and uh, he's sort of just looking around. And shoot, and the guy the guy who runs it, he comes out, he grabs him, you know, puts a puts a Colt peacemaker in his hand. And uh, he was telling him how great the gun is and how it's the brand new gun from Colt and tries to get him to shoot, but Marty won't There's do it. There's a line in there that he says that even a baby could shoot this. Yes. And then you remember back to Back to the Future Part 2, he's like, it's it like, it's a toy. Yep. It's a baby's toy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But uh, you gotta use your hands. <laughs> but he's but distracted yeah, so- because he sees Doc and Clara. Mm-hmm. 
And really hitting it off. Pulls the trigger, hits the top of the shooting gallery, and then, you know, the guy's about to take the gun away from him, and, and Marty's like, oh, I got this. And he hits every target real quick without trying. And they're impressed. Yeah. You know, it's pretty impressive, even at that time. Like, obviously, accuracy was getting better on guns, but... Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's always a funny little scene. Then you switch from that, and obviously now Mad Dog's coming in. Yeah, Mad Dog's coming in, gets stopped Break by Marshall back. Strickland. Or no, no, gets stopped <laughs> by the deputy outside, uh, tells him to right. uh, tells him to, to leave his guns. Their firearms, right? Yep. Everybody's turning their firearms. Um, Mad Dog doesn't want to do which, it. Like, which I get, like, in the Old West, makes a lot of sense, probably. Mm-hmm. Characters like Mad Dog are just going to shoot people for no reason. Yep. So Mad Dog and his people <laughs> don't want to. They don't want to do it. And Strickland shows up behind him with a shotgun to his back, with his son on the horse right with next to son, him. Which Strickland's is, you son. Know, didn't really establish is the son. The son, I would imagine, Strickland's would be father or Strickland's grandfather. Well, Strickland's kind of old in '85 because he he was right. an adult in '55. But he's still the principal of the school in 1980. Yeah, so I would imagine that that would be that. Marshall Strickland would probably be Strickland's grandpa. That's kind of what I think. Yeah. Okay. Which would mean that Marshall Strickland's son would be Principal Strickland's dad. Yeah. Um, I can run with that. So Strickland gets Mad Dog and his buddies to give up their guns so that they can go into the party. And that's when Marshall Strickland looks at his son and he's like, see that, son? That's the one word you need to remember. Discipline. Discipline. (laughs) And it sounds like, I will, pa. (laughs) I will. <laughs> I love that kid. I will paw. <laughs> but of course, Marshall Strickland has long hair, long flowing hair. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else has. He's got Wild Bill Hickok hair. <laughs> what happened in that bloodline? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, every Strickland we've seen before has been completely cue ball bald. Maury's like, when he goes back in 1955, he's like, didn't he ever have hair? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He does make, he does comment on that, doesn't he? In the first movie. But, uh, so, bad dogs in the party. Then you see Doc and Claire, they're dancing. And then mm-hmm. he sneaks up on them. He has a little derringer and he sticks it in his back. Well, did, and, did Mad Dog try yeah. to cut in first on the dancing before the derringer? Oh, that's right. He does try to cut in. Or first. was the derringer how he introduces himself to Doc in the, like how he lets Doc know that he's there. Yeah, no, that's how. That's how. That's another thing. I remember him trying to dance with her too. Yeah, because Doc's trying to keep him from dancing yeah. with her, and and uh, Clara's like, "Oh, just, just, yeah, just let him do it. It'll be easier if if you just let him dance with me." That's right. Yep. So Mad Dog grabs Clara yeah. and dances all so wild with her. Doc, and Doc's thinking that like this is too early. I'm supposed to die a few days from now. Yeah. Of course, he's not thinking this is the 1880s where it might take you days to die from a yeah. gunshot wound. Yeah. Oh, so, which is what the point that Mad Dog makes. The last guy I killed took three days to die. Yep. And it was three <laughs> days from then that Doc was supposed to be killed. Yep. So Doc breaks up the dancing and Mad Dog gets mad and points the Derringer at him. Meanwhile, Marty is over uh, over eating some pie by the Frisbee, by the Frisbee plate. Must have been a damn good pie. Yeah. Grabs the Frisbee pie plate. Throws it just like a frisbee and uh, <laughs> hits Mad Dog's hand just as he's pulling the trigger, this, yeah, causing him to miss Doc. Shoots all. And of course, Mad Dog's very angry about this. <laughs> yes. 
But because he brought a gun there, he gets dragged away by the marshal and the deputy. Right. But before that, he challenges Marty. Yes, that's right. Before that, he challenges Marty. Um, a duel. Because Marty's going to leave. And, you know, as always, he's about to leave. And they'll call him yellow. Yep. Which was the 1800s version of chicken. And, of course, no one calls Marty yellow. <laughs> so he agrees to the duel. And, it's going to uh, be Monday morning. Yep. Monday morning. They go back and forth on the time, on what time it's going to be. Before or after breakfast. Yes, before or after breakfast. <laughs> Mad Dog likes to do his killing before breakfast. Marty likes to do his killing after breakfast. So they decide on 8 a.m. Mad Dog and we go, oh, and Seamus comes up to Marty and he's like, you know, you can't let people do that to you, right? Yep. But, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, you know, obviously we don't see, for Marty, obviously he has kind of like this timeline in his head, his dad not giving him like advice like that, right? Yep. His dad just being a pushover because he didn't really get to grow up with the timeline of his dad actually being someone that kind of stood up to bullies, yeah, but not also being. He gives him like really fatherly advice. Tells him about his brother Martin yeah. McFly. His brother right? Martin McFly. His brother Martin he was killed in a bar fight with a Bowie knife, which obviously that's I guess you know how Marty got his name. Somehow yep. the name stayed within the family. Now, did Marty get his name from Seamus' brother, or did he get his name from Marty in 1955? Right, because Marty, kind of like that. <laughs> Maybe originally it was because uh, of of Seamus' brother, but then in the alternate timeline that was created after Marty went back to 1955, right, then maybe it, is an alternate timeline. it was changed now. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, so then the, the cult salesman comes up and gives Marty a free cult peacemaker worth $12. <laughs> if you yeah, get, everyone's if you could get a cult peacemaker today for $12, I'd have like a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, of course, like everyone else is coming up to him like, good luck, good luck. But it's set up now because now obviously Doc's like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Right. And Marty again, is just not thinking fourth dimensionally enough. Yep. About how things can be different. And well, may, no, know, no, it's Doc. Photograph. It's Doc that's thinking fourth dimension. That's not thinking fourth dimensionally this time because he asked. He yes. asked him why he he put set it for that time. And Marty reminds right. Doc that eight a.m. on Monday morning we're going to be traveling back to the future because the train leaves at eight. So they got to be there for the train. But things will happen. And then they looked at the photo, and the gravestone is still there. But now the, the name's name gone. gone. It just says right. here so lies. Like, okay. What name is going to go on? Then, right? mm-hmm. The date, the <laughs> death date is still there, but the name is gone. So then it's, yeah, oh. whose name is going to be on the tombstone? So then the next day, Marty wakes up. Doc's nowhere to be found. Well, that's not, that's not yeah, because they're still talking about. Oh, yeah, that's right. The next day, he's going to talk about the, the stone. Doc's talking with him about, this is the next day, you know, when the Doc no, is trying to talk to him about things. And he says, like, you can't get angry every time that someone pushes you. It almost lets slip about the Rolls Royce hitting him, which is alluded yeah. to in Back to the Future Part Two. Yeah, but yeah, that that, uh, that was the same night. That wasn't the next day that he was having that conversation with him. I don't think wasn't it at the at the fair that he was that they were having that conversation. It was the next day because there's just there's several that days night, in between. Because that night Doc took Clara home and didn't get back right. until morning. They still have they still have the scene where. They spend the night together. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Right. It was that night. Yeah. That- and he comes back home and he's like, 
floating in the sky about things. Yeah, he walks back. He's walking through the streets of Hill Valley, sniffing the flower that she gave him, the little flower brooch that that she gave him. But before that, though, Marty wakes up at Doc's blacksmith shop. Doc's nowhere to be found because he stayed with Clara for the night, and he gets up, has his his little... uh, he has he has he's a Clint Eastwood of, moment, but also he's he has a uh, the Nero, the Nero moment. moment. So gets up, <laughs> puts the you know puts his gun belt on, stands in front of the mirror, does the whole "You looking at me? Well, you yeah. must be looking at me because yeah. there's no one no, else that, here." It's when Doc comes back from at that point. He tells him almost tells him about the Rolls Royce accident. Because see, then uh, so yeah, then after after the, the whole "You like looking at me" part. And then, yeah. then he he goes right into Clint Eastwood with uh, "Go ahead, punk, make my day." And uh, so Marty hey, then Doc. you know gets dressed up, goes walking around town, and, and then sees Doc walking down the street sniffing the flower. And he goes up and talks to him. I think that that yeah. might be where that conversation happens. Yeah, because then Mar- he tells Marty, "This is what the words are." Marty, we all got to do things that affect the course of our lives. You got to do what you got to do, and I got to do what I got to. And obviously, you know, he's conflicted because he's falling in love. So, Claire, did you touch him that night? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, she at least gave him her flower. Hey, what's your O'Keefe? So they get to that night, and Doc's like, you know what? I'm going to stay in 1885, because he's in love. But Mari talks him out of it, right? And yet Mari, but then Mari thinks of the idea that, like, oh, Claire could come with us, and Doc rejects mm-hmm. that. Because he's so, always, because Doc's always been on Marty about doing things that could change the course of the future, and so yes. he can't let himself do the same thing that he's been warning Marty about the whole time. And he finally decides, yeah, I know, Marty's right, we need to go back, like, i don't belong in this time period. Goes to Clara's house, schoolhouse, and tells her that he's from yes. the future. Tells her the truth. <laughs> tells her that he's from the future. Oh, but they they had connected over the works of Jules Verne. Yeah, before that was one something that we left out before. They both love the works of Jules Verne, and so Clara <laughs> thinks that Doc was just trying to get in her pants, wowing her with his love of Jules Verne because he knows that she loves Jules Verne, and uh, yeah, getting under her blouse. So she thinks that he's lying to her because, I mean, really, if you're in 1885 and somebody comes up to you and tells you that they're a time traveler and they're from 100 years in the future, are you going to believe him right away? Probably not. (laughs) So she very understandably doesn't believe him. So she gets mad. She breaks up with him and uh, he leaves the flower on her windowsill and then goes to the saloon to drink his sorrows away. (laughs) He just sits there with a shot of whiskey for hours. Yep. He, it, where he he Talking has a conversation the with the, with the people you know talks talks about the future and talks about planes and cars and all this stuff and one of the guys is asking about you know so we're not gonna have to walk everywhere we're not gonna have to run and he's like oh yeah you'll still run people will still run but it'll be more for recreation and then you have the the cowboy <laughs> run for fun the guy that did the voice of uh, Wiley Burp in American Tale Five Goes West. <laughs> And, uh, Good movie, by the way. Oh, yeah, great movie. <laughs> Terrific kids movie. Yes, it is. That's another one of those ones that I watched all the time when I was a kid. But Marty, you know, like, you know, he wakes up, Doc's not there, and he finds him in the saloon. Yep. And Marty kind of thinks he's drunk, and they tell him, no, he, he has a touch of sip. 
Yeah, because he's sort of just zoned out. But actually, you know, before Marty got there, when he was still talking to the people the night before, the guy comes walking up to him uh, who was peddling barbed wire, which it's is like, actually, a, a he's playing a real-life person. That character is the real-life inventor of barbed wire. Okay. I forget his name. I forget the name of the guy that invented yeah. barbed wire, but, but that character, that was that guy. I think he's. I think in the credits, he's got the same name as the, as, as the barbed yeah. wire guy. But yeah. The other thing that happens when so he Bush gets in there, too, and orders the drink. The bartender's like, are you sure? Yeah. Do you remember the 4th of July? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But, but of course, we don't know about there, the 4th of July. We just have that reference to it, which apparently is something crazy happened on the 4th of July last time Doc drank. <laughs> but yeah, so the barbed wire guy tries to comfort him a little bit. A nice stranger. Probably just trying to get some barbed wire sales from, from Doc. Which wouldn't do him a lot of good. He's got a blacksmith shop in the center of town. He didn't have a lot of fence. He could easily whip up his own barbed wire, too. He should, uh, I mean, he, he built a refrigerator in 1885 <laughs> yes, to, make, to make a <laughs> single ice, ice cube. <laughs> <laughs> a giant Rube Goldberg machine refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> but, so uh, Marty shows up, and then he's too late to stop Doc from taking that drink of whiskey. Well, no, first, actually, no, he he, he's out. not, they're talking and, and he gets, he gets Doc's attention and they agree that they're going to go, That's right. You're right. they're going to go to the train station and Doc decides, you know he what, we're going to celebrate with the shot and he takes the shot and then passes out. Of course, the bartender has an elixir that can wake yes. him up. He calls it wake up juice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It takes so, a while to kick in, obviously. But yeah. And that was his first drink too. That was, that was the only drink that Doc had. One shot. So the bartender makes some wake-up juice. They stick a funnel in Doc's mouth and pour it down his throat. <laughs> and then they wait. Yeah. Doc springs up, but while and runs waiting. out to the horse trough, dunks his head in there, and then passes out that's again. That's right. I forgot about that part. Yeah. And that's when they wait. And then they bring him back and inside. And while they're they wait. waiting, obviously, that dog comes. Mad dog comes because they have a duel that day. He's standing out in the street yelling for yelling out. for Eastwood to come out. People the saloon is saying that gotta come out. You're gonna be thought it's yellow. A coward. One guy says, you know, what like the name Clint Eastwood we laughed at forever, right? Everybody'll know that Clint Eastwood's the biggest yellow belly in all the West. There you go, you got it. <laughs> and Marty's just thinking about it and he's like, He's an asshole. <laughs> Finally, just kind of says it about yep. Biff, Griff, any bad dog, assholes. But there's still the problem, because he looks at the photo, and now Clint Eastwood's name is on the gravestone. Yep. So Doc wakes up. They escape out the back of the saloon, but one of Mad Dog's men sees him in the alley, starts shooting at him. So uh, Marty sort of dives into the into the uh, building next door, runs into a stove, knocks the door off of the wood burning stove, and Doc gets taken over to Mad Dog, who decides that if Clint Eastwood's not going to come out for their duel, somebody's getting shot today. And so he's about to shoot Doc. <laughs> then Marty comes walking out with his poncho. Looking very Clint Eastwood-esque from uh, Fistful of yes. Dollars. Got his poncho, got his cowboy very, hat, got his boots. Very classic Western setup duel now. And so they're there. You know, they're, Seamus is there. Yeah, Seamus is there. see what happens. Because he just had a feeling that he should be there that day. Like his future depended on it. So in classic Western fashion, 
They're standing so many paces from each other. Their fingers are twitching down by their guns, <laughs> waiting, waiting to hear draw. Buford yells draw. I don't know why one of them was supposed to be saying draw, because that's kind of unfair. That's not how it would work. It would be, you know, a third party saying draw so that everybody has an equal chance. But Mad Dog says draw. He draws, shoots Marty in the chest. Marty. Marty just falls down to the lets, ground. Well, before that, Marty. Just oh, yeah, that's right. He undoes his belt, his belt and drops the. Yeah. He, Marty undoes the belt, drops the gun on the ground. And Grip shoots him anyway, which yeah, would be a violation. Yeah, because, yeah. Yeah, Mad Dog says draw. Marty says no. You know, and catches <laughs> Mad Dog off guard. And then Marty takes his belt off, drops it on the ground. And he shoots him out He's like, let's settle this like men. And Mad Dog <laughs> pulls his gun out, shoots Marty in the chest. Marty drops onto his back and lays there, seemingly dead. Meanwhile, Doc is shocked because yeah. he thinks that Marty's dead. Mad Dog walks up to him to check, make sure that he's dead. And uh, Marty kicks his foot up off the ground, kicks across yep. Mad Dog's face, knocks him back, climbs up. Shows that he pulled the uh, Clint Eastwood trick of having a bulletproof vest <laughs> by using <laughs> the door from that stove. He tied a rope around it, hung it around his neck so it would cover up his chest. Well, doesn't Mad Dog punches him in the chest? That's right. right. Mad Dog right. punches him in the chest, and then he reveals it, and then he takes it off and hits Mad Dog across the face with it. Yeah. Knocks him out right into... He falls into... He falls into... No. Yeah, well, yes, he, he falls back into the gravestones... Breaks the one. Back to them. Breaks yeah. the gravestone that was in the picture. Gets back up. Gets, gets back up. Again, gets hit right? again. Falls and right into a manure cart. Because <laughs> a, a tannin has to be covered in manure. You can't have a Back to the Future movie without a tannin covered in crap. <laughs> so uh, and then the marshal comes up, and it's the same manure company too. It is painted on the side of the cart. It's the same name. Good family business. Yep. We're full of good old family of <laughs> shit farmers. <laughs> They've done well enough the last several generations. And now it's. Yep. <laughs> Just like the Statler car dealership and the Statler horses and then Statler Studebaker and then Statler Toyota. Keeping but, up uh, the times. Yep. But uh, so. Then the, the marshal comes up and arrests him. No, it's the. No, the, the marshal doesn't come up. The deputy comes up and arrests him. Deputy, that's right. Do you know why the marshal's not there? Why not? Because there was a deleted scene where the night before, Mad Dog and his gang had uh, run afoul of the yeah. marshal, and they killed him. Yep. They killed that's the right. marshal. I remember that now. And so that's why it was the deputy that came and arrested them the next day, and not the marshal. Which, you know, like, I get deleting that, because that, that's a little dark. For, yeah. Because it's kind of a It's a little dark, movie. and it's it's a filler scene. It's not It's not important to the plot. It's just, you know, like what, I can like totally you, see them cutting it for time. We've already established he's an asshole. Yeah. Anyway. But this we don't, we don't need to see you know, Strickland's Batman scene. No. We don't, need to, we don't need to see Strickland's Batman origin scene. But no, I mean, it's like, it's like the only, like, death in the movies. Maybe the Libyans. <laughs> yeah, maybe the Libyans, but I don't know. They kind of just <laughs> ran through a photo kiosk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. They just ran their VW yeah. van into I mean, a photo kiosk, and that was about it. <laughs> I mean, he almost had Doc dying the first one because of that. But anyway, <laughs> well, I want to know. This, this is the thing that gets me though. I mean, how things change, and maybe we don't actually see it. And we'll get into 1985 just a few minutes. 
but they arrest Mad Dog, and they say why he got why they're arresting him. It's for a bank robbery, which in 1885 means they're gonna hang. Yep. So does he have kids yet? And not that is a very good question. Does he have little mad pups? Little mad pups at home? <laughs> actually, no. We do get some of an answer. This is why I'm actually asking it because we do see something in 1885. 1985, excuse me. But yeah, in 1885, if we robbed a bank, you dead. Yep. So, but yeah, so bad dogs rested. Now they have to race off to hijack the trains so they can push a DeLorean 88 miles an hour. Yep. Uh, but the trains already left the station because they weren't expecting to have to go through the duel. The train left at eight o'clock. Yes, they were supposed to leave. But early. Uh, they get so they, they get a little bit of a break in there because Clara is on that train leaving town. Right, and. And there were she's, people on that train that were at the saloon yes. talking about this guy, yes. talking about the future. Barbed wire man. Being all sad. Barbed wire man that, is talking right. about this guy that he met, the saddest man that he's ever met at the saloon. Guy. Talking about this woman <laughs> who stole his heart, this woman that he was so in love with, and uh, he, he's trying to remember her name. He's like, what was it? Uh, Sarah Clara? And that's when Clara's <laughs> ears perk up and she turns around and she's like, did he have silvery white hair and big brown puppy dog eyes? And Barbed Wire Man's <laughs> like, well, yes, he did. <laughs> that's that's when Clara's like, damn it. Eyes. And then all of a sudden she believes him that he was, she, she that he's from the, the future. Break. So she pulls the emergency brake. <laughs> the train screeches to a halt so that she can get <laughs> off and uh, go and run back to, to Emmett, the dock. Because she believes him now. Because she gets to the blacksmith shop and they're not there. Yep, because she gets the blacksmith shop and they're not there. So she gets on a horse and tries she to catch the train the again. Yeah, she sees the model and then sees their, yeah. And uh, sees the little toy car that they made that says Time Machine on it. <laughs> you know, and, and that's where not she so. really, that's where everything clicked together. And she believes, she 100% believes that he's a time traveler. So she puts two and two together that they're trying to get to the train. She's- so and uh, racing back, so she gets on a horse, starts racing back to the train. Meanwhile, well, you know, Doc and Marty the train and- are, uh, you know, they're they're doing the the classic Western train heist move of riding their horses up next yep. to the train, grabbing on, climbing on the train. Which then, uh, you know, as they're going over, when they get to the front of the train, before they go into the engine of it, Doc tells Marty to put his bandana up over his yeah. face. Right? Have you ever taken a close look at that bandana that Doc's wearing? No. So, you remember in uh, Back to the Future 2, when they're in the future? Yes. Doc is wearing a yellow shirt with trains all over it? Yes. With steam engine trains all over it? If you look closely at that bandana, it is a yellow bandana with little steam engine trains all over it, but it's all faded. So, he yeah. took that shirt and turned it into a bandana. And Since? it's also it's also that shirt's foreshadowing this movie. Yes. But yeah, so it's, it's, his, but, it's his train shirt that he turned into a bandana. You know, and it's important that their identities are hidden, not because, like, they're pretty sure they're planned, but it's important for their names to be kind of preserved. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. which we'll see very shortly. So yeah, because, I mean, Clint Eastwood would never be able to make a movie if, uh, back in the 1800s, if it was revealed that back in the 1800s the he was a train robber, because then he, he would never have the long, successful career that he's had. Isn't it crazy that he's still making movies today? Like, yeah. Even a while back in 19, like 1990 when this movie was made, right? And like, yeah. Here we are over 30 years later. And he's like 90. And he's still making movies. So they disconnect the engine from all the other cars. So it's 
Well, first, first they they draw on uh, or Doc draws on the conductor because Marty doesn't have his gun anymore because he gave it to Seamus after the duel. That's right. He gave it to Seamus, told him it was worth twelve dollars, never been used. That Seamus says, "Maybe I'll trade it for a new hat." Yeah, we got about the last moment. It's a good last little moment. It is, but yeah. So back to the train. Doc draws says, "Reach." The uh, conductor asks if if this is a stick up. And Doc says, no, it's a science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> so they get him to stop the train. They, they unhook the uh, passenger cars. And then Doc and Marty take over the train and set it up right behind the uh, DeLorean. And Doc has made yep. special presto logs that'll get the boiler nice and hot yep. to be able to get the train up to 88 miles per hour. So Marty gets in the DeLorean. Doc gets in the train. And their plan is to get the train going up, throwing the presto logs. And so as they got green, yellow, and red, the green one's going to blow, going to burn first. Then the yellow one's going to burn hotter and the red one's going to burn the hottest. But they have to be careful because yep. once the red one hits, then that's when the uh, boiler explodes. So they have to be careful really about no that. At that point. Yeah. So they got to hope that they hit 88 miles per hour before that red one ignites. Because remember, they're going towards a cliff. Yes, they're going toward... And if Sean it too late, then they won't get to 88 in time and just falls yep. in the ravine. Because the DeLorean can't fly anymore because Marty didn't think to go to 2015 and get the uh, <laughs> the hover um, conversion again, or at least to get it fixed. So, so. everything is seemingly set. And they're going. Yeah, so the plan is for, you know, Doc to control the train until they get close enough to 88 that he's going to climb up up the side of the the engine and then climb onto the DeLorean and get inside it. As he's starting to do that, Claire rides up. Yep, Clara rides up and climbs up the back of... Because it's it's the engine and it's the wood car behind it. Those are the only bits. Because they need the wood to keep the fire the always, Yeah, I mean, the wood's always there for the fire to get the steam going. So Clara and she rides up. Bold enough to get onto the train, yes. the moving train from a horse. Yes, but as soon as she well, grabs a- the ladder, the green Presto log goes off, and there's a burst of speed, and she starts waving <laughs> like a flag on the back of the train. Yeah, and she's trying to get Doc's attention, but, you know, obviously, you got the train that's at this point going, what, about 50 miles an hour? Now, I think it's up you know, around 35 or 40 at this point, but yeah. Yeah, but you're on the outside of it, so you got all the wind rushing against you. Yep. So you're not going to really hear a lot of anything else. No. So she's trying to yell trying for to Doc, but he can't hear her. And so Doc is out there trying to climb up toward the DeLorean, while Clara climbs up to the engine, blows the whistle to get Doc's attention. And he sees <laughs> yeah. her back there, decides he's going to go back for her, because he doesn't really have yeah. much of a choice now. He's got to take her with him. Otherwise, she's yeah, no. going to fall into the ravine and it's going to become Clayton Ravine again. And he can't let that happen flower. to the woman that he loves. So yeah. he decides he's going to take Clara back to the future with him. And uh, so he goes back to get her, but he can't quite make it in time. So he tells her to come to him. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. while she's climbing up across there, the yellow Presto log ignites. Another burst of speed knocks Clara off balance and she falls back. But her dress gets caught on the side of the train. So she's Thank just sort of hanging. 19th century dress. Yes. So she's sort of just hanging upside down off the side of the train. And Doc decides to go back to her. But he loses his footing. And he's just hanging there trying to get back to her. And he can't make it in time. And Marty gets the brilliant idea to pass him the hoverboard. You left out the point that 
Marty still has the hoverboard. Yes, Marty still has the hoverboard. He had it in the DeLorean with him, and uh, through all the commotion, it got knocked loose from where it was, and it sort of floated over by his foot, and he saw it, and and that's when you know the light bulb hit that, you know, I'm going to pass Doc yep. the hoverboard. So he lines it up, lets go of it, and it lines up perfectly. Doc's able to slide his foot into the little strap on the hoverboard. And grab Clara. He goes and grabs Clara. It hits the red. No, the red hitting. No, it was the red hitting that actually knocked everybody off balance. Then, yeah, because the boiler right. blew up. That's right. And yeah. it knocked it knocked Doc off. Of, it knocked his footing out from under him. And yeah, so that's what it was. So it's a flaming train that's going way too fast. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, the boiler exploded. So once Doc is on the hoverboard, he lets go of the train, goes back, grabs Clara, and carries her off. And they just sort of go floating off along the train tracks, just as. Have been able to grab all of the Delorean? No, it was too far in front of them and going too fast. They wouldn't be able to make it up there. Probably, yeah. Anyway. But yeah, so just as the DeLorean is about to be crushed between the train and the dead end sign at the end of the tracks, it hits 88 miles per hour. The DeLorean travels through time. The train goes plummeting into the ravine. Um, Then we see... Then we see the DeLorean show up. in 1985. DeLorean enters... 1985. Yep, goes right by the uh, the sign that says Eastwood Ravine because it was Clint Eastwood Which, supposedly that fell forever. over the ravine. Because the idea is that he was trying to stop people from hijacking the train. Because remember, they didn't show their faces to anyone on the train, and he had just been back in town. Which makes you kind of think, no, okay, maybe. Rickfly family cut the Martin name in the family because they met another Marty or another Martin that Maybe, they admired. But, you know, now that supposedly Clint Eastwood was the one to go over in the ravine, it was renamed to Eastwood Ravine. The train tracks are still there. And what we failed to mention in either of the other two episodes was Doc was bent on when they get back to 1985, he was going to dismantle Destroying the, the time, machine. time machine because it's been nothing but trouble. Yeah, I thought about um, that earlier. I forgot to bring it up again. But yeah. And like you said, those train tracks are still there. The same yep. train tracks in 1885 are there in 1955, which yep. is part of the reason why they chose that track. That way yep. they would know exactly where they would land. They don't want to land up inside of some building all of a sudden, right? Nope. So he's still sort of just coasting down the train tracks and the uh, goes through the train crossing and the arms are coming down. and People are looking at him. You're thinking maybe it's because he's going through there that the arms are coming down? No, there's a nope, train there's an off. actual train coming. So Marty dives out of the DeLorean. The last second train rips through the car, just destroys it, sends parts flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. Marty, uh, after kind of regaining his thoughts, you know, it's scary, obviously. He's looking around, he's looking at the parts, he sees the license plate, he sees part of the license plate. Yep. He sees, he sees plate. the he sees shell, the flux capacitor. It's all cracked and broken. And then he sees... The picture of Doc and Marty at yep. the clock picks it up and it's ripped in half. He's only got half the picture. He's, he's like, you know, and he's Doc, reminiscing. He's like, destroyed. Yep, just like you wanted. And he's sad that he'll never see Doc again because he has no way yep. of going back to get him. The time machine's now destroyed. Yep. But you know, then he remembers, oh, it's right, so Jennifer. Then, no, yeah, so, so now, he remembers Jennifer. It's been about a week since he's seen Jennifer. Because he's it's been a week in 1885. Jennifer, for her, it's only it's probably been, been a couple hours. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so he goes back to Jennifer's house. Yeah. She's still on the swing. And the 1985 has been restored. Yes. We haven't seen been that restored. been restored yet. And there's no bars on her windows anymore because it's not alternate 1985. 
And so he goes, he wakes her up with a kiss. And then... Uh, they go back to his house. Yes, they go back to his house. They get in his truck that he got at the end of the first movie that just appeared in he his garage. His family again, by the way. Yes. Uh, he's there. Yeah, his family's there. They're all rushing he's off to Biff. work. Biff comes out. He was just uh, putting the second coat of wax on Marty's truck. Comments how he likes his hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he still dresses like, you yeah, know. He's still dressing his cowboy getup. 1880s Clint Eastwood. Still wearing the poncho and the hat. And they're on the way. They're driving. Yeah, they're they're driving, uh, presumably to go back to the... needle shows up. Presumably to go back to the DeLorean, to the train tracks where the remains of the DeLorean yes. are. But yeah, so Needles shows up Who, um, in his truck. last time, Flea. And if you're not aware, Flea is the basis for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep. Who we have mentioned him before yeah, on the podcast. Please definitely... Listen, yes, because he's one of the nihilists and yes. the Big Lebowski. Yep. <laughs> and, of course, he's he was in Back to the Future 2 also. Uh, here he is playing a teenager. Yep. <laughs> yep. And again, he's challenging Marty to a drag race. But he had chicken. And Marty seems to have his same reaction to people calling him chicken. He agrees the drag race. Yep. And as and he's throwing the... trying to tell him, no, no, no. Yep, Jennifer's trying to tell him, no. Because she heard about it in the future when she was hiding in the closet. She heard about Marty getting hurt in a car crash because he... She still has the facts. Yes, she still has the facts. facts. You're fired. And so they're revving their engines, putting the trucks into gear. The light turns green. They both hit the gas. Needles goes forward. Turns out Marty Marty put his, his truck in reverse. He backs up, sort of spins a little bit and stops and... Just as Needles is passing a street, the next a Rolls Royce comes out, almost hits it. Needles swerves around yeah. the Rolls Royce, and Marty comments that if I had raced him, I would have slammed right into that Rolls Royce. Then Jennifer looks at the facts, and it disappears. The year fire disappears. They drive to the crash site. They're talking about it. They start hearing that there's bells again, the, the gate bells for a train. Right? Mm-hmm. But there's no train coming. There's <laughs> no train coming. No wonder. No, <laughs> train appears. An old steam engine looking train with some futuristic stuff to it. It comes down along the the tracks. And it's Doc and Clara. And their two sons, Jules and Vern. Jules and Vern. (laughs) So, uh... One of the only two Verns I've ever met. I haven't met that Vern. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know know too many Verns. I mean, my dad is Vern, so he's the main Vern that I know. But yeah, I don't know too many other Verns. Your dad's like the one burn. Then there's like burn and this bird Lundquist. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a name you hear very often. Well, there's Vern Troyer. Oh, it's right. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Mini me. Yeah. 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 But yeah. So, um, but they, they built another time machine. They, yep. Doc built the time machine out of a train and he gives Marty a present. Marty opens it. It's the picture from the clock of the two of them. Yes. Standing. The so did, we didn't see them take a second picture, but maybe they did. <laughs> He's also in a time machine. He could have picked it up at some point. I don't know. He could have, but he would have needed Marty to be in the picture with him. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Maybe he went back to right after the picture was taken and he got a copy bait. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Marty's got the picture again. And Jennifer asks why the writing on the facts disappeared. And Doc reveals that because it hasn't happened yet. The future can always be changed. Yeah. Whatever you make it. Yep, the future is what you make it, and make it a good one. Uh, Meanwhile, during this whole conversation, little Vern is standing there, and uh, if you look at him, 
he's doing some very interesting gestures. During Doc's conversation with Marty and Jennifer, Vern is standing back there. He kind of looks looks over past the camera, waves his hand like he's telling somebody to come to him, and then he points at his crotch. <laughs> yeah. He's just real real quietly like, come here, and then points at his crotch. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. He's telling he's telling the people off camera that he's got a pee. <laughs> and they left that in the movie. <laughs> the kid should have peed before the scene. In one scene. He couldn't pee before it. Yep. But yeah, so they rather than reshooting the scene, they kept it in there. <laughs> so yeah, next time you watch it, keep an eye out. During their conversations, just watch Vern. <laughs> but, you know, uh, and, and that's you know, as you said, that's basically where it ends. Well, the whatever the future they know, make, yeah, and the train goes off. And the train flies you know, away. It takes really off and it flies just like the DeLorean how the did. time circuits work. No, we know that he's able to make it a steam powered thing, and you know he's obviously figured out a way to make it fly. Well, obviously, you know. after he built it in 1885, he took it to the future and got a hover conversion. Yes, he took it. That's probably what well, like you and know, added the more futuristic pieces to it. Um, He's got to figure out that some of the time circuits of how he was able to set it to 2015. Well, I mean, it it probably took him a few years to build it. I mean, he's got kids that are yeah. like eight and ten years old or so. Eight and ten, yeah, decent age. somewhere around that age. Maybe they're like six and eight. They're more than just a few years old. So yeah. it probably took him some time to make the time machine. I still think it's a bad deal for Doc, though. I, mean, I, I, I come back to that, though. Like, he could either stay in the 1980s, kind of be a cool scientist, hang around Marty, or he can marry Mary Steenburgen. Yeah. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. It's, it really is a great bow on all of it, though. Yes. <laughs> I know we're joking around. But it's a very nice, happy think, ending know, for everybody. Ending, it's happy ending for all of them. No one dies. Everything's kind of reset back, and Jennifer and Marty together, and their future's uncertain. And that's fine. You need to know what it is. It's as Doc says. So you got to make it your own and make it good. So it just wraps them nicely. You know, good fitting end to all three. You know, which wasn't even supposed to be a trilogy, but they built yeah, their but own they... self-contained little arc. And they finished well. They built one of the Golden one of the best point. trilogies of all time. Yep, definitely. It's right up there with Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Lord of the Rings and all those. Yeah, all it's, those. It's an excellent, excellent trilogy. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny, you know. Obviously, you know, Michael J. Fox, you know, he was able to kind of keep his name on Family Ties and Back to the Future movies, and you know, he had other successes, obviously, with Spin City, and that's all he needed was those two things. And Christopher Lloyd obviously had a great career. And, you know, Leah Thompson was kind of a big start to her career. Obviously, the second two movies, her role is a lot smaller than the first one. But it was a good, you know, help establish her. And, you know, even like Crispin Glover, he never had like a huge career, you know. But Was was Howard the Duck him. before or after the first one? I think a year before. Okay. That's what I was thinking, too. Which is, you know, it's interesting enough because Howard the Duck was directed by George Lucas. Yeah. Obviously, Lucas and Spielberg were like really close friends, and Spielberg was a producer on Back to the Future. Yeah, but of course, yeah, Leah Thompson was, was in Howard the Duck. Um, all the right moves, also. So she definitely had a good career in the 80s. But Red Dawn. 
Yeah. So she, you know, she was one of those youngish actresses or actors yep. and, at that time period. Well, yeah. And, and hey, Billy Zane. <laughs> yep. Billy Zane in one of his early roles. <laughs> or he was the massive asshole in Titanic. And so, Phantom. Yeah, no. It, Before he was the Phantom. Right. But yeah, it's just one of those great movies that, you know, it's good for the entire family can watch it. And it's just very endearing. I mean, even the second and third ones where it's, you know, a little bit more zany and, you know, very stylized with the time settings. Yeah, but it's a, it's a very, very good family movie that people of all ages can enjoy. The yeah, whole trilogy is. Because like, yeah, it's about, as you said, that the first one. What would it be like to see your father or parents in high school? Wouldn't be friends. Yeah, it makes you think. Okay, oh, what if I had to see my own kids? You know, they get older, right? <laughs> you know, that's a lot of questions that easily identify with. It just keeps it very simple. You know, like even going back to the alternate timelines, like it keeps the rules, the time travel simple enough. It's not complicated, and it keeps these very universal themes, and that's why people keep coming back to it. The timeless movies. Yeah. So uh, there it is. We've completed the Back to the Future trilogy. We got one more movie in this little time travel uh, segment that we're going through right now before we move on to something else. So join us next time when we do Looper, the Bruce Willis, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie that came out in... Uh, Wayne Johnson directed. Yes. It came out in 2012. It's a good movie that we will uh, talk about next time. So if you'd like to follow us on social media... We are on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it is Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure. The and is spelled out, A-N-D, unlike the name of the podcast where it's an ampersand, but it's all spelled out, Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure, on both Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, or X, we are R&T Cinematic. And then also, if you're, if you're into Letterboxd, we've got a Letterboxd account, too. That is... Cine Adventure, or Sign Adventure, however you want to pronounce it, but it's C-I-N-E Adventure. And uh, if you want to send us an email, let us know what you think about the podcast. If you have suggestions of movies you might want us to do, something like that, then uh, our email is Rob and Tony's Cinematic Adventure, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Go ahead and give us a like and a follow, and leave us some reviews. That's how we're going to move up in the standings on all these uh, podcasting apps. So whatever your favorite app is, go ahead, leave us a, a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And again, if you have suggestions of movies that you think we might maybe should do, then uh, let us know. We want to uh, we want to do movies that everybody's going to enjoy. So, uh, yeah, we will see you then. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs>